Bonnie Glazer, Director of the China Power Project at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. In this episode of the China Power Podcast, we're discussing China's plans to define the global standards for the next generation of emerging technology. Technical standards apply to a wide range of industries, from telecommunications to healthcare, energy, transportation, and beyond. Standards can be thought of as a global language of product development. They set the foundation upon which new technologies are developed and implemented, and they often have immense impact on the way we live, work, and communicate. Standards ensure, for example, that a laptop computer can connect to Wi-Fi anywhere in the world. In theory, the process of setting technical standards should be open and rules-based, without dominance by any one player. But in practice, Chinese companies are participating in emerging technology standards meetings in larger numbers and are exerting greater influence on the process. In a globalized world, those at the forefront of setting international technical standards can gain advantage over competitors by pushing rules that others are then required to follow. As a new generation of emerging technologies enters the global marketplace, including artificial intelligence and cloud computing and big data, China has sought to take a lead in setting the standards upon which these technologies will operate. And to guide this effort, Beijing has created a national-level strategy called China Standards 2035. To discuss China's efforts to lead the world in technical standard settings and to help us understand what's at stake. I am joined by Emily De La Bruyere. Emily is co-founder of Horizon Advisory, a strategy consultancy focused on documenting the military, economic, and technological implications of China's approach to global competition. Thanks for joining us today, Emily. Thank you for having me. So, I really want to start by having you explain why the United States and other countries should be concerned about China's push. To set technical standards, what are the risks and the threats that could flow from China's standard setting? Is this a threat to our norms, to democracies, to our technological advantage, all of the above, or what? Yes, yes, and yes. Standards comprise a new form of global power projection and control, and this is a form of power that applies across domains. From a normative political systems level, China is an authoritarian state that uses standards in order to project its authoritarian system internationally. This is manifest in the social credit system, which is itself a standard, and the way that forces U.S. companies or multinational companies to comply with China's data requirements. It also is manifest in China's positioning in Africa. Where Beijing is able to cement and proliferate its neo-colonial approach through standards, but this isn't just about political systems. This is also about our long-term economic viability. Standards are rules. These determine who wins and who loses, and that applies in particular in the industrial space. So, as China sets international standards, it also assigns its own companies an enduring inherent advantage. That means that as U.S. players, companies, or the government allow China to set global standards, they're also surrendering our own long-term economic prosperity. So you've written that this China Standards 2035 strategy is linked to other industrial policies like Made in China 2025 and 
I assume also connected to projects like military-civil fusion. So can you talk about what China Standards 2035 is and what these linkages really mean? Absolutely. So China Standards 2035 is an industrial plan that China has been in the process of formulating since March 2018. They officially concluded their research and planning on it in March 2020, and the plan will be promulgated at some time this calendar year. And China Standards 2035 will present the outline for how China is going to go about claiming international standards over the next 15 years. This plan is in its own right key and pivotal, but it has to be understood in terms of a larger deliberate evolutionary strategy. China Standards 2035 is a continuation of Made in China 2025, which is itself, of course, a continuation of the Strategic Emerging Industries Initiative and the Medium and Long-Term Development Plan for Science and Technology, and a host of other Chinese industrial plans. The idea is that China Standards 2035 will pick up where Made in China 2025 ends. China has secured strategic footholds in global industry chains. Now it will position to translate those footholds into influence over their standards. The idea is if that you dominate, say, telecoms, then you can influence how 3GPP votes. And of course, if you're building global telecoms infrastructure, you can set the standards on the ground from the bottom up. Taken together, all of these plans and the thinking around them amount to a whole lot more than industrial planning. This is a competitive strategy, but it's a competitive strategy built to play out in the industrial domain, which is not an area that we here in the U.S. traditionally think of as one four-nation-state competition. Military-civil fusion as a strategy frames and operationalizes that form of competition. Military-civil fusion entails the integration of military and civilian ends, means, and ways for comprehensive national power. At the risk of oversimplification, military-civil fusion is about weaponizing the integration into the civilian sector to project national power. A MCF champion might work with the U.S. R&D ecosystem to obtain technology at low cost. Then it brings that technology back to China and prepares to export it through both military and civilian vehicles internationally for power projection. Right now, that form of power projection is standards. So what is the role of some of the multinational companies uh, that are in China, like Huawei, for example, in China Standards 2035? And what's the role of state-owned enterprises? Is this explicitly outlined in the plan? So we don't know yet what the plan will explicitly outline, but there are certain things we do know. And that's that both state-owned enterprises and private companies have been part of the drafting and the researching of this plan. So China's BYD, for example, which is one of its champions in new energy vehicles, was a key part of China Standards 2035 working groups. We also know that China describes its industrial strategy as state-led, enterprise-driven. The idea isn't necessarily that Beijing puts its hands on the wheels for private companies and tells them exactly what to do. What it does is that it shapes an incentive structure through subsidies, through preferential loans, through infrastructure, through regulatory arbitrage, so that their activity in international markets ends up propelling China's larger strategy. What we're also seeing is that state-owned enterprises tend to dominate more in legacy areas like CRRC and rail and AVIC in aerospace, whereas private companies come up more in emerging areas like, again, BYD and new energy vehicles, but also Beidou in space and Huawei in 5G. 
And in those areas, there tends to be a lot less resistance to a private company than there might be to a state-owned enterprise. So even if these are hot-button strategic areas, we're more inclined to open the doors to the ostensibly private Chinese company. This whole approach stymies our assumptions about what private actors are and our conceptions about what state control means. We want to think that a company is either private or state-governed and that it's either operating of its own accord or according to specific tasking from the government. But Beijing shapes incentives rather than assigning that specific tasking. So the behavior might appear patchwork, but it's still responding to deliberate state strategy that's animated by a lattice of subsidies, of preferential lending, again, of regulatory arbitrage. My understanding is that to encourage participation in standards bodies, the Chinese government provides monetary incentives for contributions in these meetings, and that these incentives are based on quantity, not quality. So I've talked with some people from the standards industry who've explained to me that there have just been massive numbers of proposals, papers that are being presented by Chinese participants. Can you explain how this is affecting technical standards work and how this gives China an advantage. Absolutely. So yes, there is an entire apparatus of incentives that are designed to make sure that Chinese players bring in standards proposals and of course that again reward standards proposals that are selected. There's also an entire apparatus um, that's designed to set the strategy with which Chinese players go into, say, industry groups that are standard-setting organizations. China has a national-level working group dedicated to 3GPP strategy. A side anecdote, if a Chinese player goes to one of those standard-setting bodies and does not vote the Chinese party line, that does not do awesome things for that Chinese player down the road. And what this means is that In all of these standard-setting bodies, you end up with a saturation of Chinese proposals and Chinese votes. And those are going in a very concentrated, guided, deliberate fashion against an ecosystem that's otherwise fragmented and open and largely independent. So you have a standard-setting body that's a collection of industry actors from all over the world that are all voting according to whatever they think is best. But then you have an entire block of Chinese actors that are following a deliberate state strategy. And, oh, wait, surprise, they're probably going to win on the voting front because this standard contest is actually in many ways about quantity, not quality. So are we early in this process and can there be effective pushback? Have the Chinese already made really concrete gains that are going to be difficult to reverse? Yes, they have. And no, we're not early. China has been clear about building a deliberate standard strategy since 2001 and accession into the World Trade Organization. And we haven't noticed. And to the degree that we've answered, it's been in a whack-a-mole way, and it's been against the symptom, not the cause. So like we respond to a Chinese company like Huawei, or we respond to what we perceive to be an innovation race. But we haven't acknowledged that this is a contest about standards and that the contest for standards is very different than the traditional innovation, science and technology competition. And so, yes, China has made significant progress and built in really, really significant foundational footholds. 
Some of those are in standards themselves. Some of those are in the positions of leverage over a supply chain or and the physical elements of an industry that can then be translated into influence over that industry standards. So if we depend on Chinese raw inputs to make new energy vehicles, what then happens to the standards for new energy vehicles down the road? Also, if you look at Chinese participation in standard setting bodies, uh, China leads the International Telecommunications Union. It also leads the FAO, the International Civil Aviation Organization, and the United Nations Industrial Development Organization. So all of these, even if they're not explicitly at the point of setting all of those standards yet, are this latent power that can ultimately be transformed and that is very difficult to unseat. Which is then the next point that the really scary thing about the standards contest is how enduring an advantage is. These are rules. These are infrastructures. You can't just rip them out overnight. If China sets the standards for the emerging world, China secures an enduring advantage for the entire next generation. China's National Standardization Committee apparently recently published a work report, and it includes a section on strengthening the construction of the relevant standards system for the prevention and control of COVID-19. So if we put this sort of in a current context, does this COVID-19 environment offer opportunities for Beijing to advance its technical standard setting agenda? And do we see any evidence that it is trying to seize the current situation to advance its interests? Absolutely. There's an immediate first order on this. A whole new apparatus is being set up around COVID-19 monitoring, relief, and recovery. And Beijing wants to set those standards. The standards for vaccine trials, for new supply chains, and for the new systems like remote learning or healthcare or conferencing that are now being formed. And of course, All of those new standards proliferate the ones for which Beijing was already competing. So COVID-19 monitoring can then be applied or translated into surveillance systems. China's long been focused on e-commerce. That's something we're all relying on so much more heavily now. And then at a broader level, China generally sees COVID-19 as an opportunity to accelerate its strategic ambitions. The phrases that are being encoded in Chinese policy right now are seize the window of opportunity, turn crisis into opportunity, and fast forward. Beijing thinks that it can do this because market share is up for grab, because strategic assets are depreciated, because global liquidity is in short supply, also because areas that may have been geopolitical hotspots six months ago are not as hot button right now. No one's paying attention. The entire NDRC's COVID-19 recovery relief package focuses on digital infrastructures. You mentioned the International Telecommunications Union, or ITU, and then there's, of course, obviously other international standard-setting institutions like the International Organization for Standardization, International um, Electrotechnical Commission, um, and probably others you know about. I'm wondering if you could describe how China's role in these organizations has changed and how it compares to the United States and other leading countries. I mean, certainly under the Trump administration, we have this pattern of the United States withdrawing from multilateral institutions and really creating a vacuum that I think China is filling. So I wonder if that's also true in technical standard setting organizations. 
So over the past one to two decades, there's been a huge uptick in the leadership positions and generally the influence that China holds over these standard setting organizations. I mean, from a strategic point, it's actually super interesting. The idea of what China does is that instead of building entirely new systems in order to make its bid for global power and global leapfrogging, it leverages its scale and its centralization and its deliberate strategy to co-opt existing systems so that these infrastructures that were set up for a very different norms-based process end up serving China's strategy. And this is as true in ITU as it is in the World Trade Organization or the United Nations. And this is the reality that seems to be what the U.S. is grappling with when it now seeks to withdraw, is what do you do when you've created an international system for certain ends that suddenly a player with opposite ends has co-opted and has done so leveraging enduring strengths that you simply can't rival? Because we don't have the scale and we don't have the centralization to create a massive voting block in any of these that can, in the immediate, compete with what China has done. And the other part of this is that, so Beijing has a deliberate apparatus for these and it's competitive, but this is not a sexy area. No one wants to sit there and read a killer tell-all about how China has navigated the hallways of the International Standardization Organization. Like, you stop reading when you read the word standards. So it's the most brilliant power play because just nobody cares. What are the challenges then that China faces in implementing its China Standards 2035 strategy? Are the challenges primarily domestic? Are they inherent to things about China's economic structure or its difficulty in innovating? Or are the challenges more external and related to the international community? So the big trap that I personally fall into when I present this Chinese strategy is that I present it as a done deal. Because the strategy is exquisite and it's updated for the modern environment in a way that no other country's strategy right now is. And this strategy does cater to China's enduring advantages of scale and centralization while shoring up its enduring weaknesses. An inadequate innovation ecosystem matters a whole lot less in a contest for standards because these are about applications and applications to scale rather than about coming up with a technology quickly or a new technology. Similarly, an unpracticed military matters a whole lot less in a competition that has turned the industrial domain into the determinative battlefield. Of course, that does not mean that there are not challenges. China's entire strategy hinges on access to the rest of the world and on the rest of the world complying. Beijing manipulates its integration to obtain technology and to set international rules, but that only works if the rest of the world lets it do so. Up to now, we have, but that could change. If the U.S. and its allies and its partners in our private sector get on board and work together, then we can rival China's scale and we can bring to bear our enduring advantages of innovation and of norms. And it's possible that COVID-19, even if it is an opportunity for China, could also be the watershed moment we need to actually take action. I find tremendous inspiration in the U.K.'s recent effort to create a united front vis-a-vis Huawei. 
that's the kind of model that we could replicate at a larger scale to actually make progress. So let's talk a little bit more about the policy responses and maybe break it out into two parts. First, maybe talk about some of the things that are being done now and then maybe your policy recommendations for things that could be done going forward. Is there a conversation among like-minded countries about technical standards? Is there an organization, a coalition? What part of the U.S. government actually deals with this question? Has there been any bilateral conversations with the Chinese about this in the past? What has been done so far? Not much has been done so far. We are waking up to the idea that China is a threat and that it's a threat in an industrial and technological fashion. But again, we have not caught up to the idea that this is a competition over standards, not about who comes up with the best AI tomorrow or the flashiest new energy vehicle. And so we have to realize that. And only when we realize that can we have the conversations we need. But the problem is also structural. Since China acceded to the World Trade Organization, it's been building an apparatus for standard competition. And we're just not organized for that, either in our private or in the public sector. And there is one entity in the government that's probably best suited for this, and that's NIST, which is the National Institute of Standards and Technology. But as it currently exists, its mandate is simply not big enough to engage in you know, this matter to scale, and it's not competitively oriented. So if we look forward about what are the kinds of things that could be done. Some people have suggested that policymakers should be working really in partnership with the private sector to strengthen the ability of U.S. companies to remain competitive in technological standard setting. You know, what are the concrete things we could do in that realm? And then maybe what are the other countries that we really share enduring interests with that might be willing to step up and and work with us in this endeavor. So first, we need to redefine what technological competitiveness means. We tend to respond to the idea that China might be a threat by saying we need to pour money into basic research and development, and we need to out-innovate them. But China's not trying to out-innovate us again. It's trying to steal our innovation so that it can get then apply that innovation and claim the standards. So first of all, that is a fundamental reorientation that needs to start happening. And as we do put money into R&D, whether that's for applied research or not, we need to make sure that that's actually protected where possible and where necessary. Um, so that's first bucket of things. But then getting together with our allies and our partners and defining a new set of global bodies, that has to happen next or to fix existing global bodies so that those can set standards credibly and effectively that they can do so bringing the private sector on board and in a manner that isn't subverted by China. Which allies and partners? The EU and key European countries are gonna be key to this. China in its strategic discourse talks about Europe as really the linchpin of the present international contest. And that's somewhere where we have advanced economies we can work with who share our norms. But it's obviously not just Europe. There are other countries, five eyes. Um, we should be thinking more about Japan, India, Australia, four countries that have been activated recently by these concerns and actually have really strong precedent and experience that we can lean on. And then the developing world matters a ton too, because it's full of countries that are, China's term is leapfrogging. 
in technological areas. So if you look at the African continent, if they're jumping from traditional banking to mobile banking and China gets their standards for mobile banking, what does that mean for the global mass? If you think in this area that countries will be willing to challenge Beijing, you know, we have seen on so many issues that countries are unwilling to cause friction in their relationship with China. Uh, sometimes developing countries even might fear economic punishment from China. Maybe it will be in the space of a not getting built and road loans or something like that. When it really comes to issues that affect China's ambition to be a, a leader, I think a lot of countries rightly see that, you know, it's risky to challenge Beijing and they're reluctant to do so unilaterally. So they look, of course, around the world at the U.S. and sometimes they're not convinced that Washington is really going to pursue a consistent policy and effectively challenge Beijing. Rather, they see the U.S., I think, sometimes being excessively confrontational, but not being very effective at organizing a coalition of countries that can pursue a policy that might really cause Beijing to rethink its approach. So I wonder if, is this a space where a coalition has a prospect for being built? Am I being too pessimistic? And no one should ever ask me if they're being too pessimistic. There has to be space for a coalition because that's the only way we can compete. But also you can't just keep doing the same thing and hoping it'll work this time. And as you said, that approach has not been successful to date. And there hasn't been the resolve and you get watershed moment after watershed moment and nothing happens. And the one thing I think that changes that is if we get the private sector on board, because this is fundamentally an economic contest. Beijing sees the real domain as that for economic supremacy. And that's not in the long-term interest of our private sector, even if our private sector is currently operating in such a way that it fuels China's strategy. So if we can start by shaping incentives at home so that the U.S. private sector actually has a reason and a mechanism with which to operate effectively vis-a-vis -vis China, and then we have the U.S. and the private sector on board, that's something that actually has the kind of scale and resolve that could work. And every time we talk about building a new international organization that is designed for, say, standards and or to compete with Beijing, that needs to be an organization that isn't just nation states sitting around together, but also that is bringing on private sector stakeholders who can actually inspire effectively action across the world. We've been talking to Emily de la Bruyere about standard setting, which is a very important issue as we look at Chinese power and the balance of power in the future and the competition between the United States and China for domination in emerging technologies. Thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you for having me. 